You're listening to the Quince podcast. It's been two months since history repeated itself in Myanmar, where on 1st February, its de facto leader Dao Aung San Suu Kyi was detained along with other senior leaders of the government following a military coup in the country. At least 521 civilians have been killed in the past two months of protests against the military, and 141 of them took place on 27 March, which has been the bloodiest day of the unrest, according to the Assistance Association for Political Prisoners. The military seized power, saying that the November 2020 elections won by Dao Suu Kyi's party were fraudulent, an assertion which has been dismissed by the Election Commission. The National League of Democracy, or NLD, which Dao Aung San Suu Kyi leads, won in the November elections with a majority of 396 out of 498. It's important to note that Myanmar is not new to military takeovers. The country was immersed in a military dictatorship from 1962 to 2010, and the military had a tight grip over its citizens through hard tactics such as imprisonments, torture and mass killings. An entire generation of Myanmar has suffered in silence at the hands of the country's military. And given that an entire new generation has now tasted democracy, the world is now watching on how the military is taking back control of a country and tossing aside a government that won a massive popular mandate only a few months ago. So, in this two-part special episode, we are going to first hear from veteran diplomat and the former Indian ambassador to Myanmar, Mr. Vivek Kadju, to understand the complexities of Myanmar, its history and what led to the coup. In the second part, you will hear from voices in Myanmar about what the ground reality is, what measures have been taken so far by the military and what do the people of Myanmar exactly want. You're tuned in to The Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you, and I'm your host, Imad. For the first part of this two-part series, here is Mr. Vivek Kadju explaining the history of Myanmar and what led to the insertion of democracy with the election of Dao Aung San Suu Kyi in 2011. I was India's ambassador uh, in 2001 and two for a brief period. It is a very complex country. And to understand or appreciate its complexity, one has to go into the history of Myanmar. The Myanmarese people consist of a large number of ethnicities. The principal ethnic group are the Burmars. That mm. is why the, country, the name Burma. But there are, as I said, a very large number of other ethnic groups. Mm-hmm. Now, generally speaking, the Burma people have uh, traditionally inhabited the plains. Because if you look at the map of Myanmar, you find that on the edges of the country are mountains. And then there are plains. The mountainous areas are generally inhabited by the non-Burma. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a general proposition, but Actually, if you go to the cities, there are the pockets of, or uh, there are Burmar people, there are other people, etc. The British had actually ousted in the 19th century the Burmars from power. They held power in Burma, in Myanmar, and they were ousted. Mm -hmm. And then Myanmar was attached to India, to the British 
administrative system in India mm -hmm. for purposes of administration. Mm. And this continued till 1937. And on this account, the, a large number of Indians and other nationalities also came into India. The, a feature of British colonial practice, which is mm. important for us, was that the police and other forces of the British were generally recruited from the non-Burmas. They did not recruit them into the army. And it is in, only in 1945, when Myanmar was under Japanese occupation during the Second World War, mm. that the Tamado or the Myanmar army was created. Mm -hmm. And this was essentially an army with the Burmar ethnic group. So you had a strange situation in Myanmar where the main ethnic group mm. felt besieged, felt that it was being, it was discriminated against. Mm. It is also a fact, which I should mention, that there was a lot of evangelical activity among the non-Burmar ethnic group, mm. and uh, hence uh, a large number of them became Christian, where, whereas the Burma ethnic group is largely Buddhist. Now, I'm going into this detail because this is often missed when you try to look at the Myanmar situation or try to analyze. So, political power in Myanmar, after the British left, the Myanmar, the Burmar ethnic group felt that they had the right. And the army was largely officered and staffed by the Burmar community. Now, the army felt that it not only had to look after the interests of all Myanmar people, but it had in particular to look after the interests of the Burma. And, I mean, this is what is the fact. They never All this was never said openly, but these are the, the undercurrents that the army gained power through coups in the uh, early 60s. Mm -hmm. yeah. And thereafter, it was only in 1988 that they decided to go in for elections. There were all kinds of other political experiments going on. There was a lot of xenophobia. I won't go into this. But in 1988, they went into elections. And in the elections, then there was hope that uh, a democratic system will come about. Mm. But the moment they felt that... Uh, Things were going out of their hands, and things were going out of control. They clamped mm. down and clamped down very brutally. And in this process, while the international community was quite outraged, the Chinese saw an opening and consolidated their position in Myanmar. There were there have been historical contradictions between China and and the and Myanmar, but all that was overlooked because, as far as the army was concerned, the Chinese were supporting. Mm -hmm. This is 1988. Thereafter, Myanmar was isolated. Initially, too, once the army had taken over, it was isolated. But after this, too, it was isolated. And they were the generals were under sanctions. And strangely, while the rest of Southeast Asia went through a rapid transformation. Mm -hmm. Myanmar, which in 1948 was perhaps uh, amongst the best administered 
countries in Southeast Asia, what is ASEAN, and certainly one of the most progressive because of its isolation, went very back. But the army was extremely xenophobic, it was very sensitive with outside contact, and they had a kind of attitude that we can, there's enough water in the river and paddy and fish, and we can manage. The democratic forces in Myanmar waged a tremendous but careful struggle. They were very patient. And it is only comparatively recently that the army decided to loosen the strings it was holding in its hand mm -hmm. and decided that there should be civilian participation in allowed elections. But in the constitution that they framed, they were very careful to ensure that the army's participation in the political process would continue. It was not as if there was complete democracy that was put in and the army went back into the barracks. Mm -hmm. No, the army maintained a significant presence in the parliament. And under the constitution, army representatives or army officers themselves were in control of the security sectors. Mm -hmm. These included the ministries of defense, and the ministries of and the ministry of interior so when people say that uh, that uh, democracy has been overturned i feel that myanmar was on the path of democracy mm. but no full democracy had been established and this has been a reversal now the question is why has this reversal taken yeah i think yeah. Uh, and this is i'm not justifying anything i'm only trying to clarify things i think this reversal has taken place because the army felt following the last elections, which Aung San Suu Kyi's party, the uh, National League for Democracy or NLD, swept, mm -hmm. the army felt threatened that its role in the political process will be weak. So it hit back, and it hit back very brutally. Mm -hmm. Now, one fact has, uh, is important, mm -hmm. and I don't know whether the army or many international observers factored it in their analysis, and that is that like everywhere else, things have evolved. Social mm. media has impacted. And the younger generation of Myanmar, perhaps, and I underline the word perhaps, including the younger generation of the Burmar ethnic group, does not feel as besieged or as threatened mm -hmm. as their forefathers had. Mm -hmm. And therefore, in the last two months, the democratic forces of Myanmar have... Uh, come out onto the streets and have made it clear that uh, this coup which the army conducted is not acceptable. Now, is the army in a mood to go back? Quite clearly, it has shown no. So this is the background as I see it. I put it uh, in very bold strokes as simply as I could. We simply have to wait and watch. Because while these demonstrations are there, and these demonstrations are taking place in townships, etc., across the country. Mm -hmm. We do not still know, because of lack of information, about the depth of anger against the army. Obviously, there's substantial anger if demonstrations are going on. Certainly, in the main cities, there is a, an enormous amount of courage being shown. But I haven't seen yet accounts of what the Burmar villagers or what the majority of Burmar villagers are saying. Certainly among the other ethnic groups, there would be great anger. Mm. But this is a question mark in my mind and I'm being candid with you. 
on because on that i haven't seen enough evidence it also speaks to the fact that the younger generation the gen the gen z has also tasted democracy has recently tasted democracy for a long time now for at least 5 to 6 years in in myanmar and that is why also this uh, democratic demonstrations are being taken place so my next question is that the current situation in myanmar is far more complex than what is being widely reported as well and with the military coup it puts the country's social and political realities in a very sharp focus now so can you speak more on what this tussle between the the nld uh, the national league of democracy democracy and the military has been since 2011 what has been the back and forth between the, these two sides since 2011 i think to to really put this in perspective mm-hmm. one has to see uh, what aung san suu kyi was trying to achieve yeah and her background and her role that's very important aung san suu kyi is as you know him the the daughter of general aung san who is the fully the acknowledged father of the tamadog yeah. of the myanmar army mm-hmm. who was assassinated soon after she and she also put into house arrest as well after his assassination yes i'm 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 coming to that uh, now there was some resentment against general aung san as i read my inquiry showed up uh, among senior of other senior officers of the tamadog because he decided to marry a karen lady who was a christian who was aung san's mother and after her assassination and then uh, aung san's mother was revered there at some stage she went out on diplomatic assignments and aung and aung san suu kyi herself uh, she was aung san's mother uh, aung san uh, uh, a widow aung san suu kyi's mother mm-hmm. uh, was also a uh, the Myanmar involved to India and Aung San Suu Kyi studied in Delhi and then uh, she became uh, uh, well versed in the world she married a british gentleman mm-hmm. and in 1988 uh, she went back to Myanmar and then got caught up in this struggle uh, for democracy when the generals decided to do away with the election etc she was right in the middle now she took a leading uh, she took a principled position etc but uh, there were deep suspicions with the generals harbored against mm-hmm. because as i mentioned to you they were very xenophobic mm-hmm. and she had married a, a, a british gentleman etc so they were while at one level she was worthy of their respect because she was the daughter of general long san yeah at another level they were they really didn't know how to deal with She was the daughter of the icon, and she was espousing liberal causes, etc. And soon enough, she was put uh, into prison, and and she became an international icon because uh, uh, the world and correctly admired her great strength, her fortitude, her, her vision. Mm-hmm. And from uh, uh, from uh, the uh, uh, from house arrest itself, uh, she was figure of great admiration in the world, and she became an icon. Mm. for human rights for democracy etc mm-hmm. and uh, her popularity among her own people and among all sections burma non burma group so finally when it came to uh, came time for the restoration of democracy or beginning of the path towards restoring democracy the generals despite all their reservations about her could not ignore mm-hmm. and she also realized and i think correctly that she could not afford to overlook the sensitivities of the general mm-hmm. 
this transformation in Myanmar could not be overnight. So a process of mutual accommodation took where she accepted that the army would have a role, where she accepted that it would be in control of uh, Myanmar security sector. Mm -hmm. But they decided that yes, she should be given a chance that she should lead the country. Mm -hmm. Now, it's tragic to my mind, it's very tragic that uh, the Western world did not appreciate the difficult situation that she was in. Yeah. And it's ironic too that from her, that they downgraded her iconic status because of the Rohingya issue. Now, I'm not going to the merits of the Rohingya issue. I think uh, no people should be treated the way the Rohingya people have been treated. Mm -hmm. But Aung San Suu Kyi realized the situation and she therefore treaded a, and navigated a very careful path. Mm -hmm. But she was under pressure from the West. And I suspect that the old suspicions about her resurfaced in the minds of the generals last uh, by early this year. This is especially after her success in the elections. And mm -hmm. the old suspicions were that uh, she might go back to full democracy, give up this accommodation, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, <clears throat> try to put the gen uh, army back, Tamador, back into the barracks, or put, mm -hmm. put the Tamador in the barracks. Uh, and hence, uh, relations broke down and the army did what it did. Now, I'm not, uh, please, uh, I don't think what the army did was correct. I'm only trying to understand why did the army act in this fashion. Yes, yes. And there lies the reason. My so, another point of contention in Myanmar is China's involvement and its relation with the military junta as well. There are obvious economic factors involved for China for, for keeping Myanmar's democracy stable and also in their favor as well because they have been in favor of the uh, of the military so far so in your opinion how does china see uh, aung san suu kyi as a leader and what makes her a quote unquote unreliable partner for china i think china understands the complexities of myanmar hmm. the relationship between china and myanmar historically mm -hmm. has been generally one of tension and suspicion Okay. Yeah. Uh, now, after 1988, uh, the Myanmar army and the Chinese established a very close relationship, partly because the Myanmar army needed the Chinese, and uh, China saw uh, strategic opportunities in Myanmar. Mm -hmm. But to further its objectives in Myanmar, China needed above all a stable, it didn't want turbulence, that would damage it. And therefore, I, I do feel that it was going along with the accommodative processes that were set in mm -hmm. and uh, which were represented in the Myanmar constitution. The breakdown of this accommodative process and the coup mm -hmm. uh, could not have been to China's liking. But the Chinese required to follow a supple democratic, a supple diplomatic process. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I think they are unwilling to put any pressure on the on the, the Myanmar army. And in a sense, they're acting as its shield. So, uh, in one sense, they are going back to the pol old uh, policies which, which, uh, which were witnessed in full measure after 1988. But I thought that the Chinese would have cautioned the Myanmar army that there should be no no great violence, there shouldn't be a blood on the streets. Yeah. Now, clearly, 
the number of deaths that have taken place here of a tally of 500 now would be an embarrassment to the Chinese. But I don't think the Chinese have been sufficiently embarrassed at present to uh, want to put any public pressure on the Myanmar. So it's not that uh, the Chinese uh, and Aung San Suu Kyi didn't try to establish a rapport. Mm. I think both sides were making an endeavor, both China as well as Aung San Suu Kyi. Quite clearly, the past few years bear witness to that. Uh, but the present situation is what it is between the two countries. And uh, the Chinese are acting as a shield. So, um, my last question on the topic of foreign policy is, is as such when it comes to Myanmar is that, in your opinion, which questions or debates regarding the coup in Myanmar, specifically regarding this coup in Myanmar, are not being addressed by countries or by media? I think uh, the media and Western democracies are focused on the uh, fact that uh, the Myanmar army, through staging its actions mm. on the 1st of February, has reversed the process and that this is unacceptable. Mm. I too find it unacceptable. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's not right, it's not proper. But what needs to be addressed is uh, how do you rectify the situation? And to do that, one has to go into the psychology of the Myanmar army mm -hmm. and the complexities of Myanmar society and politics. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, not being taken into account. Yeah. And if one goes into these dimensions, then what one may theoretically find or in principle find unacceptable, then one has to find uh, practical ways mm -hmm. of uh, of addressing a situation so as to resolve. Okay. So, moving to India and Myanmar relations so far. India's biggest point of worry right now can be current political climate in Myanmar and how it could affect the stability of the Northeast and our Northeast states as well. And that is where India is also aligning its own national interest and it should also to a large extent. However, with India being Myanmar's largest democratic neighbor, do you believe that India's current stand of not wagging a finger at the junta publicly, but trying to reason with it discreetly is appropriate. I think experience shows that this is more productive because uh, mm -hmm. the Myanmar army, as I mentioned, can be terribly insular mm -hmm. and xenophobic. And past, uh, the history of the last three decades shows that uh, it is willing to turn its back to the world and live in isolation. Now, Clearly, there are pressures now because, as we discussed, there is a new generation. Yeah. But how do you reverse this process and go back to the Myanmar army uh, supporting the system which itself, which itself had created, along with pro-democracy elements? Mm -hmm. I think that has to be the focus, and for that, an engagement with the army is necessary. Mm -hmm. Now. In principle, one can of course say that what is happening is unacceptable. But then, uh, I think uh, the way to uh, to resolve the situation is only through engagement. Because mm. what else can you do? Will sanctions work? They haven't worked in the past. Mm. There's of course no question of uh, of attacking Myanmar, mm -hmm. of sending in a, a UN force. Mm. No one will agree to that. The path ahead should be one of bloodshed. Yes, a, a, a mixture of carrots, sticks and other things quietly through an engagement process should be deployed. 
as with the Tamil rope. But all this has to be approached with cold realism. Howsoever emotionally upset one may feel, realism must be our only guide. So my last question, sir, for, for today. India has historically chosen the path of patience and quiet diplomacy, at least going to my opinion as such, especially when it comes to dealing with its own neighbors as well. In light of the strides which China has made in the past decade, especially with the Belt and Road initiatives in Pakistan and Sri Lanka, with the ports, especially the port in uh, Sri Lanka as well, and that it is a mounting geo-security risk uh, for both for India as well, with the string of poles theory, which is very popular. Do you think India should continue on this path of patience and quiet diplomacy, especially when it comes to its neighbours? Well, in 1988, we weren't uh, following quiet diplomacy. We were mm -hmm. uh, denouncing the Myanmar act, army's action completely. And that led to a hiatus between New Delhi and Myanmar mm -hmm. for a large number of years. And it was only in the mid-90s, 1990s, that uh, uh, a more realistic approach was taken. And I think today, learning from our experience of the late 80s, we've decided to pursue the path of, of realism. China is making rapid strides in our neighborhood. Its relations with Pakistan are sui generis. Through the Belt and Road Initiative, as you mentioned, it's trying to get allies, which is making inroads into various countries, and including in India's neighborhood. And, and we cannot but be concerned. Yes. And we have to deploy the full range of our diplomatic uh, diplomatic assets in meeting uh, this challenge, the Chinese challenge. And I do think that uh, in order to do that successfully, we don't have to shout from the rooftops. Mm. We have to engage uh, purposefully, mm. in many cases quietly and discreetly, mm. but effectively. Mm. Well, sir, thank you again for your time and consideration today. It's always a pleasure talking to you. This is your third appearance on the podcast. And I think the third consecutive week as well, I think. So it's always a pleasure talking okay. to you, sir. It's, it's, uh, it's a privilege as a, as a foreign policy student myself. It's a privilege talking to you. No, no, thank you. Sir. Thank you very much. Thanks, sir. Good to be with you. Thank you. Bye. If you like listening to this episode, please subscribe to The Big Story for episodic updates. We're available on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, GeoSavan, and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quint website. And for any feedback, please shoot an email to podcast at thequint.com. Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quint's website and check out our other podcasts. 